huge issue for many, many years. Um, and we're still active, very active in our recovery because well, like any addiction, it's, it's a very long process and it's a lifelong journey. Hey everybody, this is TA and welcome back to the Recourse Podcast. Just a warning off the top, today's topic is a bit more adult themed. We're going to be talking about sex and intimacy. My friend Heather Norgren is here in the library with me and she is going to be sharing about her life, her marriage, the opportunity she's had as a marriage coach. And I just want to say I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation. There's a lot to challenge us, to encourage us. And Heather is just such a lovely soul to be able to share and being willing to share all of the things that she has learned and as she continues to grow with her husband. All right, let's jump in with Heather. All right. All right. Well, let's get started. I do appreciate you coming all the way out, coming to the library. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. Yeah. So as always, I think it's a good thing for listeners to hear how do we know each other so they can make a connection to you. So we know each other from church Mm -hmm. and we also play Monday night volleyball together, opposing teams, but friendly competition. Well, you guys are good. (laughs) Like, I feel like I don't think we've ever beat you. It's such a blast. It is. And you guys have a fun group of couples that play. Yes. That's yeah. so fun. When, when they asked us to join, I was like, I have been waiting my entire adult life for this day. Yes, I would love to play volleyball. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I have to tell you a funny story that when I quit at SOC, like when I left my position, I played with all teachers. And so that was part of my contingency. Like I told my principal, I'm like, I mean, I'm turning in my resignation letter on the contingency that you will let me continue to play Absolutely. volleyball or else I'm retracting this. Absolutely. I would have done the same thing. <laughs> I get it. It's a fun, it's a fun time. Mm-hmm. I have to tell you, I remember you from, I feel like one of the first time, my first kind of solidified memory of you, Matthew and I were getting ready to do the couple's Bible study where we were going to focus on marriage on like a Monday night. And you and I were sitting at the playground and you had made the suggestion of the Francis Chan book. And that was what we ended up going with. But I remember being like, Oh, I hadn't even heard of and thought through and just was very excited to have that conversation and to kind of lead us to where we went. So I appreciate that. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And you are, you and your husband are very involved in marriage ministry. You guys are marriage counselors, right? Marriage coaches. Coaches. Yes. Yeah. We are now partial owners of Divine Marriage Center in Oak River. So we have been doing that for the last three years now. So we love it. So what does that look like? How does that work for you guys? So we actually came on board after our marriage was a mess. We attended the program about seven years ago when our marriage was on kind of the brink of divorce. We had tried all options, counseling, um, conferences, books, pastoral support. We just could not get the tools that we needed to break out of the crazy cycle that we were stuck in. We had a lot of betrayal, a lot of sexual addiction stuff we were dealing with. Um, a lot of intimacy issues, communication issues, and um, and we needed tools to be able to help us get out of that dysfunction that we were in. And we really found that when once we came through the program ourselves, and then years later, the owners asked us to come on board. Yeah. So, can you explain a little bit how it's slightly different than what people would think of as traditional marriage counseling? Yeah. So traditional marriage counseling kind of dives into the pressing issues at hand and almost seems to be kind of a referee between the couples. And we've heard from a lot of couples that they feel like they leave worse than when they came in a lot of times. And so we approach each couple the same, um, no matter what the pressing issues are that they have coming in, we, we lay a foundation. Um, so we walk through things like biblical roles. What has God called us to do versus how we're responding instinctually. So we each respond to try to get our needs met because we're human and they come out sideways because we're demanding our way and, and those end up causing a lot of issues. And so we start with that. Then we run their temperaments, which gives them a really, uh, deeper understanding of who they are, their hard wiring. And then we line those up side by side to figure out, okay, what are some red flags here? What can we do to get you so you're more in your strengths than your weaknesses? 
then we work through things like conflict and communication, intimacy, parenting, and just kind of a broad spectrum of marriage in general. Then they feel like they then have the tools that they need to work on those pressing issues instead of diving into them right away. So, yeah. when I love hearing um, that it is a couple with a couple and not, like you said, a referee, an individual. I think that's one of the biggest changes I hear in right. coaching is that it's you're able to have more of a, I don't want to say like a example, but when you're sitting with another husband and wife or another male and female, you f it, it brings comfortability in that conversation versus if it's a male or if it's a female, automatically one or the other is going to start to feel a little less, you know, comfortable. Yeah, we hear that a lot from couples that they love that. And me and my husband are very raw, very real and honest. Um, we do not pretend like we have it all together. And I think that's very refreshing for people that we're real humans. We still have problems and they don't feel like they're being attacked by one, you know, person or the other. It's both of us sitting there, which obviously is very different from traditional counseling. So Yeah, well, and I think that's important because we are all a mess and <laughs> still in the thick of it. None of us have it figured out some of us fake it better than others maybe or absolutely and, and some of us are further on certain tracks than others but that doesn't mean other parts of us are yeah mm -hmm. so getting into that that um getting into the coaching part you guys got there you kind of did that there was some things that were going on that got you to that path can are you willing or want to share some of that with us yes so the main issue that my husband and i have had really from the very start to our engagement was when I had found out about his pornography issues. Um, you know, like most men, they think, oh, this is going to go away after we get married because then that need will be fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And and that is one of the biggest lies that I think most men and even women believe. And so um, it was an issue from the very start that I so naively agreed um, for him not to get help and that was a huge issue for many many years um, and we're still active very active in our recovery because well like any addiction it's it's a very long process and it's a lifelong journey of healing I, I sometimes joke though that we have actually had the benefit of you know, God uses all things for good, and that includes addiction because it has forced us to get on the path of healing that a lot of people avoid. Mm -hmm. And because of this issue in our marriage, it's it's forced us to face these things head on. Yeah. When I imagine, too, that it's not... Um, I think people are very open about alcohol addiction or even drug addiction, but it's not often that people will talk about any sexual addictions in that they, they're so much more accepted in society of like, that's not an addiction. That's just normal recreation time or whatever. And then also how that's not something people feel maybe more shame about it. Have you guys, how has that been to be able to, because you seem very open about that and you guys have like, you've shared your testimony. I know even amongst people in our church and feeling like I'm always, impressed of the bravery or the ability to be that humble and to be that open. Yeah, we, we've been told that it's, it's easier to confess to a drug addiction than a pornography addiction or any type of sexual addiction because, um, it just feels more vulnerable, you know, that it is so accepted by society and yet with more and more studies coming out, even the secular world is starting to realize the damage that this is doing. And so um, we don't have a hard time talking about it because we're so convinced that God's gonna use all of our pain. Like I, I refuse to live in such a way where my pain is wasted because this journey I would never wish upon anybody, but yet, when I have wives calling me, um, <laughs> to be honest, like I get a phone call once every two weeks of a new wife that has found out about her husband's um, kind of secret sexual basement, what they call it. And it's, yeah, I could turn the other cheek and say, no, I don't want to deal with that because I'm still in the midst of my own healing. But yet it's the very thing that 
puts fire in my soul because I refuse to let this be wasted and I can almost be excited for them knowing what's coming. Yeah. If they choose to take this by the horns and, and not let it conquer them, it will bring them into a greater, deeper marriage than they ever would have had if it wasn't for this. So I imagine when you first were going through this, this was not the attitude that you had. So how do you get to that point? What were things that you had to go through to get yourself to this side of the coin? Whereas, you know, at the beginning, I'm sure you were not feeling that enthusiastic about it. <laughs> no. Thanks for bringing that up. No. <laughs> yeah, that definitely wasn't um, my default position. Mm. My default position was always, I am a victim. Poor me, poor Heather, you don't deserve this. All this woe to me mindset that I think us as humans instantly fall into. Mm. And I was no exception to that. Um, I very much was trying to be my husband's Holy Spirit. Uh, for ten, first 10 years of our marriage, I was convinced that if I, you know, if I'm more sexually available because that was some of the advice I was given, just wear him out sexually and make sure that you're not denying him, you know, all these people that were misusing scripture and, and giving me this quote unquote biblical advice for our marriage. And, and I believed those things. And so I, in my own human wifely power, tried to fix him. Mm -hmm. And if it, if I couldn't fix him, in the bedroom then i tried to you know order him books and hey how are you doing are you struggling have you contacted your accountability partners are you going to group are you doing this are you doing that and i tried to mold him and shape him into the image of what i thought he needed to be and i realized in those moments that i was doing that because i just wanted to stop hurting i was so tired of hurting that i needed to fix him and until the Lord got let we we were seeing a traditional counselor and the one thing that I remember was that we had to sign a contract that if Michael had had another relapse I signed to agree that he would have to leave the house for at least a week to really create some space so that I would feel safe so that he would kind of get an idea of wow my actions have consequences because for addicts they for things to start changing, their outside pain needs to be greater than the inside pain that they experience sure. for change to start happening. Because the reward that they get from the addiction outweighs the pain from what they're experiencing. And so the, I, I knew what he was trying to explain to us and I was like, okay, yeah, I can do that. So that day came and he left and went to his dad's. And I remember that week so well because I remember just crying out to the Lord like Lord change his heart like why does this keep happening I know this isn't your will change his heart fix him you know all these good intention prayers but in that moment the Lord's really taught me that when he's when he speaks he speaks to us he doesn't speak to us about other people he speaks mm -hmm. to us about us and he said Heather Michael is not ready to change but you are and if you are willing then I will start changing you and and so thus began my journey of sanctification and him showing me that my marriage was this mirror that was staring back at me that showed me every flaw and weakness that I had and and I needed to be willing to stare in that mirror and let the Lord start changing me and so that I think was the process of starting to see that, okay, God uses all things for good. He's choosing to use my husband's addiction to actually transform my heart, to have a holy trust in him that he will be God. I don't, he, he didn't ask me to step into that role of being the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I make a terrible Holy Spirit. <laughs> and and I needed to step aside and to let God be God and, mm -hmm. and go on my own healing journey. And so I did sign up for a Betrayed Wives group and I started taking care of myself even though he wasn't ready yet. And that's really when I started seeing some change start in him. Once he saw like, wait a second, 
she's not nagging me anymore. She's getting the help herself. Like, why is she doing that? And, and I think our husband's eyes and ears start to kind of, um, pay attention when we stop pointing the finger at them and we just choose to come surrendered and say, Lord, what is it in this that, that you want to change about me? Cause that's the only thing we really actually have control over. Yeah. I love hearing that you had found a group that also had a connection. I think we were so wired to live in community. And when the person who is by far our strongest and closest relationship, that's not clicking, that we need that more so. Um, I always talk about this, that Matthew is my person. Like he is, he's the person. And I remember often feeling like, so when we have an argument, it's like, where do I go? <laughs> like, you know, like I didn't have that community and, yeah. um, and so I'd be in prayer like, Lord, Lord, I don't know what else to do. <laughs> like, you're all got no. So it's good to hear that there's a group. Um, you had kind of hinted at some bad advice. Were there other pieces of bad advice that others had given you during that time or before that time? I would say the worst advice that I fell into, I'm starting to realize is a very similar um, repeated lie that a lot of us Christian women have heard um, that, you know, you need to have sex every three days, you know, three times a week is like the minimum or your, your husband will stumble and it will be your fault. And um, things like make sure that you look physically appealing to him. Like that is make sure you're adorned and um, what other things, you know, it's a man's need. You know, men are just more visual. They can't help it. And I, I started digging into this and asking the Lord, like, Lord, this, this isn't sitting right with my spirit. Is this really what you feel about this thing that you have created between man and woman? Mm -hmm. And so my husband and I, once we started getting healthy, we started digging into this because intimacy is a topic that we talk about in the program. And so we kind of went on a hunt of, okay, Lord, where, what did biblical intimacy look like without sin? Because mm -hmm. that's what gets it all messy is sin. And we're like, well, there's only like two chapters before sin came in. So what did that look like? And he highlighted Adam and Eve that they were naked and unashamed. Mm -hmm. And those two words just were highlighted in bold letters on the page. And, and I started thinking my husband and I started having conversations because so much of breaking the pattern of addiction is learning to become fully known and fully loved. And I really felt like we could swap out those two words of naked and unashamed with fully known and fully loved. Yeah. And so in that process, we started thinking, you know, like, what does that look like in marriages? And the first thing that Adam and Eve did was they covered up, they hid and they hid from God. They hid from each other. They started blame shifting. Well, I wouldn't have done that if you if didn't you do hadn't. that and you didn't want to have sent that person, you know, and, and that's so what we do in marriage, you know, like, well, I wouldn't respond that way if you wouldn't say that to me. Well, and, and the covering up part and the combating of that covering up is vulnerability and trust. And are we sharing everything with one another? Are we, saying, you know, Hey, hon, when, when you did that the other day, like it, it made all my walls fly up and that's not how I want to respond to you. So can we talk about that? And, and secrets, I think so many couples, especially nowadays, culture has convinced us that it's not, whatever's not beneficial to share with your spouse, don't, don't share that. And yet then we get to categorize what's beneficial and what's not. When I think I can confidently say, and I know this is a bold statement, that there is nothing that we should hide from our spouse. I would have to agree with them that. That's a, and I know like that sounds controversial, but that if we are bound together, if we are flesh of our my flesh, that that's what it is. You are my yeah. my all in all, and that includes. And I know I've even joked with my sister that she'll be like, "Don't tell Matthew," and I'm like, "Well, honey, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> we can maybe we kind of live by that too. Like that's part of." Or we're the same. Yeah. <laughs> but when the person you tell me it, yeah. it kind of will, because especially if it's going to affect, you know, things within our household, Absolutely. he's going to know about it. There's no yeah. way we're around that one, for us. One flesh, and mm -hmm. if one flesh has secrets mm -hmm. and 
um, lies that they're keeping from one another, it affects the other person. It and it and speaking specifically about the marriage bed, it defiles the marriage bed. Mm-hmm. And and so we started there in Genesis, tearing apart, you know, Adam and Eve naked and unashamed. And and so from there with those lies of, you know, keep things from each other, you know, nope, we can't be doing that. We need to be fully known. And with sexual addiction, they take you through a full disclosure process. And so again, addiction was on our side with walking us through these steps of how to become fully known. And in that process, Michael got to disclose, not, I'm sure he didn't feel like he got to do that. He had to do that. And (laughs) right. Let me tell you all my secrets and wear out all my dirty laundry. Um, but in that process, it brought us to a ground zero in our marriage. And I was able to supernaturally after him disclosing all of that to me, still look him in the eyes and say, I'm not going anywhere. I still love you. And, and he remembers that day like it was yesterday because he said that was the first time since I was five years old that I was fully known mm-hmm. and fully loved. And, and so these different lies, um, the man's need and a wife's duty, I think, is something that a lot of Christian couples fall into, that we start taking verses like, you know, submit and we, I call that the Christian cuss word, the S word, that, <laughs> that so many of us have such a tainted view of that word. We do, yeah. And it's so scary. And yet, what about the other por- portion of Ephesians of husbands? Love your wife like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And, and so my husband and I, we really dig into those, especially when it comes to intimacy, because we have to make sure that we are serving one another that when you look at the relationship between christ and the church okay well we as the church we submit to christ even when we don't fully agree you know and but jesus we don't have to be afraid to submit to him because he is always for us not against us he's doing things for our good and when we look at intimacy I think that that is something that when I say we're serving one another, I think our human brains kind of get a little irked or a little maybe uncomfortable when I say things like that. But really, when I was digging into scripture, even this morning, like, okay, Lord, like what else about this are you trying to highlight? And he brought Philippians 2.3 to me and it says, do nothing from selfish ambition or empty conceit, but with humility, regard one another as more important than yourself. And I looked up the definition of conceit. Empty conceit means an excessive appreciation for one's own worth. Mm. And I was just like, whoa, if that doesn't hit the nail on the head for our, our sex lives. For sure. That in do nothing, from selfish ambition. Like, can you imagine if we both as husband and wife entered into the marriage bed with zero selfish ambition that if we could love one another sacrificially and how fulfilling our sex lives would be if we truly were there to serve one another. Yeah. And I, I keep, as you're speaking, the only thing I keep coming back to in my head is that is so not societal's expect. That's not what I was taught. That's not what entertainment portrays. That's not what uh, conversations were had with me as a kid. And I keep thinking about my own children of they're getting to those ages that we're starting to talk a little bit more about how our bodies are changing and what expectations are put upon our bodies or what we use our bodies for as we grow. And, and those are the things I've like, how do we explain those things um, in a different way? Because I, I didn't grow up in a Christian family. I, I, I didn't go to youth group and, and stuff till I was in high school. And at that point, it was very like, don't have sex. It's dirty. It's bad. Mm-hmm. Save it for the one you love. <laughs> and then it will be great all the time. Right. And it's like, I don't understand no. that. And all of these societal myths of men are going to want 
this at this time all the time you will yeah like you will need to provide that you will need to um be open to those things or whatever it is and when i got married it was a huge learning curve for both my husband and i but to redefine those as in but as humans here's where we come and this is what we think and this is what we feel and what um our preferences are is the best way to say it of of all of that and to be open we are huge advocates when we do any marriage um coaching or we do the premarital when we talk about intimacy the ability to talk about it seems to be the number one indicator to me if you're going to even have a healthy intimate life because you if you can't talk about it oh you're not going to be able to <laughs> mm-hmm. you're not going to find any satisfaction or uh you're missing out on this really rich connection piece that I think is so fundamental for your marriage and if you're too ashamed to talk about it how do you how are you expecting it to grow and flourish and one thing that I didn't realize was that it was not going to always be easy I think society teaches us well you should just always be attracted to each other you should and it's not a hard thing to do you just go and do it and it should always be easy and then you're trying for babies and you can't have babies or somebody Mm -hmm. is not feeling well or there's so much stress with kids and your jobs and that part of your life can easily flutter away if you're not putting the energy and time to it and there's times in your life you're like it's okay maybe we can just be done with that (laughs) but you don't but really you don't want to like Mm -hmm. no you i i i think that is so essential but how do you balance that Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's something you have to fight for. I mean, this is like a muscle that you have to exercise. Like it doesn't just, you don't all of a sudden show up to the gym and you're in shape. And just like entering into the marriage bed, it's not just automatically great. And I do think as parents and even as Christians, we have we have misled the next generation because I know I was misled, not by ill intent, but simply just because we try so hard to want our kids to be pure. And so it's almost like we try to scare them into purity. Um, when really it's like, no, like I am so excited for you like this, but this is something that is going to, you'll have to fight for and you'll have to communicate and you're going to, you're going to blush and you're going to feel uncomfortable and, but you're going to need to ask a lot of questions. And that was a part of our healing journey too. Imagine that, um, addiction for the win yet again, (laughs) God uses all things for good because at the very last part of our program for the betrayed wives and the addicts, they had you come together and there was a list of questions that we had to ask one another. And I still, I still remember this day because we were in the church parking lot waiting for our kids to come out of youth group. And we decided this would be a great place to talk. Perfect time and place. (laughs) So we pull out our notebooks and start asking these very uncomfortable questions that I won't air on the, on the show. (laughs) But as you can imagine, but there should be nothing that we shouldn't be able to ask our spouse. And that was really when the lights came on for both my husband and I of, okay, if we want things to be good, we have to be able to talk about this. And it starts with verbal communication, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy. Why aren't we praying for our sex lives? Mm. God cares about that. Lord, help things in my body be the way they're supposed to be so that I can get the most out of this gift. Mm -hmm. And really asking each other these questions was really, I think, step one in our sexual healing because we have to know what the other person likes so that we can do that and and participate if we're comfortable there's going to always be you know some some danger zones for people whether it be trauma whether it be you know abuse anything like that we have to respect each other's bodies as our own you know and um but the, that that fighting for intimacy is a real thing and that it takes work and and to not become complacent with a unsatisfying or non-existent sex life because I think it's a reminder of the covenant that we made with each other and with God that I heard a comparison once that what if we started thinking about sex as the act of communion like we do at church that when before we take communion we repent 
we come clean. We become fully known before God. And we go make our wrongs right. You know, scripture Mm -hmm. says, if you have disagreements with your brother, make those things right before you come and have communion. Like how, how real that is when it comes to our marriage bed, that we should be repentant. We should be fully known. And that when we take communion, we are remembering the covenant that the Lord made with us. And, and what if sex was that very thing? the remembering of the covenant that we've made, the washing of the blood. Mm-hmm. And and to we have to take communion on a regular basis to remember because as many times as people take some scriptures out of context, it's truth, but it's our humanness that has twisted this. And so I do think Paul knew what he was talking about when he says, you know, do not deny one another. Come together so that you will not be tempted. Like mm-hmm. there is so much truth in that. But it's it's in our own humanness that we take it out of context and and use it for our benefit, and it it gets messy. It does, and I think you hit on a really important part of when you're talking when you were talking with your husband about asking very intimate questions or embarrassing questions. I I feel like I have a really I don't want to say soft spot in my heart, but like. I feel very um, disappointed and really sad when I hear of, and unfortunately you hear this a lot of women in their marriages who are, that is a a chore that they Mm -hmm. check off or that part of their marriage is not something to look forward to or not something that they have reveled in or have unfortunately like that they just don't. And some of it I think is education. Some of it is, maybe baggage of other things because there's like you said people can bring in a lot of of hurt and trauma or societal expectations into their bed unfortunately bad teaching can come all of that um but i think some of it is also the it it is an unwanting to learn like a i'm just gonna it's too much or it's too hard Mm -hmm. and i feel bad that there's such an opportunity there that they're again that intimacy piece like how yeah. sad when you're missing that like when Absolutely. you have that part that's being fulfilled in your marriage I can't I sometimes I'm like I can't imagine life without that you know what I mean which that is amazing to hear you say that because I was so that person that was it was a checkbox thing it was a how do how do guys like this this much but it was because we had brought so much brokenness into our marriage that I brought my dysfunction, he brought his dysfunction, and then we were left to try to figure this out by ourselves with complete misinformation, you know? And I think especially nowadays when pornography is so prevalent that, you know, 70% of pornography is abuse related, especially when it comes to women, that we're almost wired to think that, oh, it's only good for guys. And, and men start to become selfish thinking, oh, well, if she says she's good, then I guess we're good. And, and women getting no satisfaction out of this and men always getting satisfaction out of it. And, and it wasn't until I had some really honest conversation with some girlfriends of mine that I, that I trusted that I was communicating what was going on. And they had the courage to tell me, Heather, that's not normal. And and I realized how important this is to be talking about with trusted people because we only know what we know. <clears throat> and I started realizing I need to have some conversations because this uh, God wants this to be good for me too. Yep. And and so my husband then by coincidence started watching this um Bible study called Mingling of Souls on right now media. And it's Matt Chandler, and he's talking about sex to his church, which let's talk more about sex in church, please. Um, and he talks specifically about the clitoris in church. <laughs> <laughs> and my husband was just beat red li- listening to this message, but he was so convicted yeah. because this ma- this pastor starts talking to men saying, men, your wife has a clitoris and the only value that that thing has is pleasure there is no other purpose for that organ to be there so why would god give your wife a clitoris if he did not expect her to experience the same pleasure that you do Mm -hmm. 
And my husband just hung his head and he was so convicted. And of course it was like in unison of when I was having these honest conversations with my girlfriends of, wait a second, I'm supposed to be getting just as much out of this as him because it was all that bad advice that I was given of, you just need to be available. You need to do this. And it was a checklist item that our relationship with the Lord in all regards should never be a checklist item. And, and I, and so things, that's when things started changing for me. And I started communicating like, Hey hon, like, can we not skip bases all the time? <laughs> like, can we re-? and I started learning about the arousal cycle and how our bodies work and what is it that I like? What is it that I don't like communicating both of those things in a respectful way yeah. and, and really learning that, wow, like this can be something I look forward to. That was totally foreign to me. And I want so badly for women to hear this of it is worth the fight. It's worth the awkward conversations. It's worth learning about your body and being honest with your husband of, Hey hun, like I want to desire you more often. I want to have a thriving sex life, but I'm really struggling. I'm really struggling with desiring this because I'm not getting what I know God intended for, for me to, to have when it comes to our marriage bed. Yeah. I have a tendency to, uh, I don't want to say this wrongly. It's going to come out wrong, but I'm going to say anyways. Um, when we're in church or you're at a conference or you're wherever you are and some, somebody's speaking and they'll make a joke about, um, men or women in a very general term, like, Oh, men, I'll do this or women, I'll do this, whatever. I have a tendency to roll my eyes. I get, I don't know why. I, maybe it's just my personality of I don't like that we can put each other so much in a box that this is exactly what women want, this is exactly what men want all the time. And I know there's times that stereotypically those things can be funny and ha ha ha. But my husband knows that that's kind of a trigger for me where I'm like, you know what, my husband does laundry in our house. You know, like there are <laughs> things that we have decided as a family or as a couple, this works best for you, this works best for me. And so when we talk about that in intimacy, that's that to me is the meat of it is Mm -hmm. we have to figure out you want this. I want this, this works best. This doesn't. And at times, um, I've, I know I've, um, joked with a girlfriend cause during our marriage coaching, the video that we watched, the, the woman who talks about intimacy brings it up this way that as a female, in order for us to fully enjoy intimacy, it's like climbing a mountain and it can take a lot longer. And there's times when we're in an intimate position with our husbands, I just don't want to put on my Nikes and I don't want to go all the way up that mountain. I'll go up halfway with you. Sure. And I'm totally down for that. And there's times when I'm like, I'll put on my full Nikes and go the extra mile. That's great too. But sometimes it looks different and that's okay. And I remember feeling kind of validated in that, that it doesn't have to look the same every night. It doesn't have to feel the same way for him as it does for me Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And I know he was super sensitive of that, of wanting to make sure that at always, that as long as we're in communication and we're both comfortable with how that looks today versus tomorrow or two weeks from now or, you know, whatever, that that's important. And I, I, think that is the piece that people miss, that it's not just a scheduled perfunctory, we just do that and done, mm-hmm. move on. Yeah. How do we create a environment that our kids, I don't want to say see that, but learn that that is important and that that is loved and that mm-hmm. eventually we want that for them with their partners. Yeah. We, yeah. And as far as when it comes to the kids conversation, you know, now that I have two teenagers, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm learning so much from even the marriage couples that we have that come in, um, especially kids raised in the church, you know, like what you said earlier with it's bad, it's bad, it's bad. And then all of a sudden you get a ring on your finger and you're like, Oh, now it's good. Flip flip the switch. Now it's good. Now it's great. Now I got to do it all the time and it's going to be fabulous. And then it's not. Mm -hmm. And, and we have to make sure we are communicating the proper language when we talk to our kids about sex and are we having, it's not just the sex talk and it's over. Like this should be a monthly conversation. This should be a talking about our bodies, talking about how God gave us all these different sensories, all these different parts, like figuring out what do we like, what do we not like and making it about God and his love for us that he didn't have to give us this thing 
And it, and it's we've all I think had those really intimate moments with our husband, of wow, this this right here was exactly what God intended because it's almost like they say, you know, when two become one, like when we are made in the image of God, man and female, we should actually look most like God when we are fully intimate because when we become one. And is that displaying the glory of God in our bedroom? And that's a, that can be a very convicting question to ask ourselves of, does our marriage bed look like the glory of God? And does it give him honor? Does it, is it an act of worship? And, um, and properly communicating that to our kids is really hard because it's awkward conversations. And yet I think even teaching your kids from an early age to advocate for their needs too, in a respectful, loving way, I think is even a good baby step for that process. Well, I think we have this in Christian circles to do this thing of like, you are a sexual being, but keep it turned off. Like keep that light switch off until the day you're married. Mm -hmm. And I think what I'm kind of hearing you say too is, I mean, I don't go flip it on and and don't flip the switch and go run out and be with all these people. But in the sense of understand that your body does have triggers your body is going to be aroused your body is going to still be processing sexual emotion and feelings even without that person at some point and how to tamper that or i don't want to say tamper because it sounds bad but it how to yeah and how to appropriately um understand your body and work with your body Mm -hmm. until you're in that correct time Mm -hmm. to express that in in the right ways because i think that's probably the biggest piece that we do for children is teach them that what your body is doing is wrong and is bad. Right. And then why does it feel so right? Right. And that's where it's like, I, that's, I don't want my kids to have shame around. I think there's so much shame that's built into it because it's awkward for us as adults to see kids or to, to help them understand. And it's okay if that happens and that's okay that your body responded that way. But here's a way, you know, like we need, to help you mm-hmm. feel comfortable in your own skin. I'm by no means an expert in how to do that. So <laughs> I'm still learning. I'm still yes, bringing it all out. And it is are. so different for boys and girls. And I know I've joked with my husband, like, we have two boys. That's, that is so your role as papa. Like, good yep. luck. Have fun. Mm-hmm. Make sure you have great conversations and you tell them all the things. Because <laughs> I, 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 my body is very different. And I've, I've had multiple conversations. My daughter's only 12. And we've had obviously the maturation conversation as her body is changing, but then also what what um, biological function her body has of being ready to bear children and all those pieces. But then also some of that sexual conversation of that. But the cool thing is, is that's part of that. It's not sex is not just to make babies, but God really wants us to to love that person and. God made it so it's fun. That's why we see it in movies. That's why we see other people very excited to do it. The thing that I feel like I've been really pressing upon is you at some point are going to have to make choices about what that looks like for you and where with whom you choose to do that. Mm-hmm. And there's such a heart piece. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think you understand at this point that your heart goes with that act. And so just so you know, at this point, those pieces are going to be so important to you as you grow older. So right now, as a 12-year-old, let's just focus on what your body's doing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just so you know, when you get to that point, I'm hoping we can build her to that point where she would make wise choices for her heart and for her, that intimacy of who I would hope she would choose to share that with. Absolutely. That and I think sense? that's, yeah, and I ha- agree 100% because I think we hear celibacy don't because you don't want to get pregnant and you don't want to have STDs. <laughs> like, you know, that was the school's approach. It didn't mm-hmm. talk about the infatuation that you would now have with that person that you just slept with. And you're going to have a lot of triggers when you get married because of what that person did or that person said. And we start believing all these false lies. And it nobody talks about the heart and what it does, creating those soul ties with those mm-hmm. people. And, and the damage that that does because of what God has said, he knows what he's talking about when right. he says, don't do this other than with your spouse. It's not to, to make us miss out on fun or right. to punish us. It's truly learning how to have self-control because that is something we all lack in and learning that our bodies, when we have that response, it's, there is, it's a godly response, but how do we channel 
that desire that we have in a way that's honoring to God. Right. And yeah, if you want to, you know, go further with your boyfriend, it's because there's a greater need there. Let's talk about that. What are you actually looking for? Cause it's not the physical. Yes. Mm. It's about your body's natural way of, Oh, I know what comes next because that's just our arousal cycle, the way God made us. And it's good. Right. But yet because of what the Lord says, because he knows what's best for us, what are some creative ways that you could be intimate without being physically intimate? Is it, you know, do you need to have deeper conversations? Do you need to go do something fun together to connect? Do you need mm-hmm. to, you know, give each other a back rub or just like channel it in healthy ways instead of sexual ways? Yeah, and I think you're hinting at it, it could be too, like you might be, mis- like if you're not feeling as uh, loved or desired, I think as females we have this deep desire to feel needed, wanted, visually, physically, like I want to feel like I am desired or, um, sought after. Mm -hmm. And so if you're not getting those things, then you are also then making choices that might push you into ways that you're not making healthy and right, correct choices for you and for partners. hundred percent. Yeah. Having gone through your testimony, having thought about all those pieces, let's go back to marriage coaching. Um, so how, what is some of the best advice then you have for couples that are struggling in this area? Oh, that's a good question. I think it depends the struggle because I think we have to find the root to the struggle in order to properly address the issue. So we have to know what the issue is and that's where it starts with being fully known because so many of our couples have so many secrets that, um, you you don't know what you're dealing with until you get to the root. And so if, if a wife thinks like, why do, why does my husband not have any interest in me? Or why am I not desiring this? You know, the root, there's so many things. It could be trauma from her past and her upbringing. It could be the husband's wrapped up in pornography. It could be she's wrapped up in romance novels or pornography herself. I mean, I've seen the statistics and, and we're very blunt with our couples of, okay, we know, we know the numbers. And so one of you is probably struggling and that's in a no shame, no condemnation sense here, but we are trying to call the darkness out and bring in the light that this is destroying marriages. Mm -hmm. And, um, so really I think the first step is finding the root of what is the issue here. And so that involves honesty and vulnerability. So it has to start there. And then it's the rebuilding process of if we're dealing with addiction, then we need to get into recovery. You have to have a plan. The wife needs to have a plan just as much as the husband does. And a lot of, it involves a lot of questions, like in the back of the book that we had talked about, those awkward questions, but we can't start there. We have to start with trust and we have to start with vulnerability um, because women need that emotional component. We need that emotional intimacy before we have the physical, because like you said, it takes us a lot longer to get there Um, they say statistically men reach climax, like within two to five minutes. That's Mm -hmm. the average. Whereas for women, it's like 15 to 18 minutes. And it's like, okay, what do we do? That's kind of, (laughs) there's a big gap in between there. And, um, and we need to have those conversations of, okay, what do we do in that time frame? You know, what can we do to slow things down? Are we, are we rounding all the bases once in a while? Are we knowing what the other person likes? All those conversations. And I had a, I listened to a message one time that related our sex life to different like restaurants. And it said, you know, are you having too much fast food? Uh. Are you having <laughs> sit down meals? Yeah. And are you having holiday feasts? And, and to really use that as a gauge of, Oh, I've been having too much fast food because I'm tired Mm -hmm. because I feel depleted because I am not emotionally connected to you, but I feel guilty. And so I'm going to put out. And I think any husband would say that is absolutely not their desire. And yet Mm -hmm. us as women, we are so used to taking care of everybody else and having our needs go unmet for everything. We're always last that if our husbands truly knew that that's what we were doing, they would be heartbroken. Yeah. And 
And I think it's combating that lie with communicating and, and to really be like, hey, hun, we've been having a little too much fast food, like a little wham bam and we're done all the time. Like there's so much more to this and I want to find that out. And, um, and to be honest, like, like my husband and I are on a, a celibacy fast right now that okay. the Lord called us to. And because we started off our relationship way too sexual, way too fast. And, and the Lord really wanted to redo things within our brain to know how to connect with each other when it didn't involve sex. And so I, to be honest, I would recommend that to every couple to take a break for like, it even talks about it in scripture, you know, to, to with, with, withhold, but for only for the prayer and, and then make sure you come back together. And, um, and that has done wonders. Yes. It's been very, very difficult, but yet it's created this space of knowing that he can still be kind if he's not getting what he wants. Mm -hmm. And, oh, he's not just after me for my body. And he, I'm still loved, even if I'm not giving him what he wants. And, Mm -hmm. and that's where both of our sexual brokenness has collided with this abstinence thing that the Lord called us to. And so just like you were saying, every couple is going to look different. Their journey is going to look different, but I think it all involves vulnerability, honesty, and trust because you can't have intimacy without those three things. Right. And I really appreciate you bringing back the getting to the root of kind of the trauma or baggage or experience that you have that you're bringing with you into that relationship because I think there's so much uh, misfiring of communication or wires because that the way you respond to something doesn't actually have to do with that specific event. It might be trauma from before or that feeling of, well, I don't feel desired because of this or because of all those, all of those things that we bring into. And again, it could be because I believe this societal myth that Mm -hmm. if you're not treating me this way, or if you didn't say these right things, then obviously I'm not or whatever. And those are the pieces that I feel like to learn to rewire that and to have the communication to talk through those pieces and to be on the same page with your partner yeah, really is, it not only improves the intimacy side um, sexually, but the intimacy of just being partners and being flesh of flesh and being, mm-hmm. you know, one together. And I think that's huge. And I think that is, for me, that such a big goal that we're constantly fighting that chasm that mm-hmm. can be easily created between us in any way. Absolutely, because I think that's a a thing that us women can easily fall into is withholding for almost like a punishment. Mm-hmm. And and I think that women can fall into that even unknowingly, just instinctually, because they're not getting their needs met, that they think, well, if I don't feel like it, then I'm not going to. And we become a society that's completely driven by our feelings. And I, <laughs> the Holy Spirit has told me time and time again, like, do not let your feelings be the driver of your life. And, and I, and I think the question we need to ask ourselves as women of if we're not enjoying intimacy in our marriage is Lord, why is this so hard for me? Mm -hmm. What is it that you're trying? What's my body trying to tell me? And what is it that I'm actually looking for? What is it that's lacking? Am I trying to punish him? You know, having, being honest with ourselves of, do I want him to hurt? Like I hurt? Do I, is it because my needs are so dried up that, and yet are we communicating that? Because our husbands are not relationship experts. Mm -hmm. They do not know these things because it's not instinctual to them like it is to us. And so are we doing our part by communicating, Hey hun, like, I love it when you give me a back rub before bed, like that puts me in such a better place emotionally and physically connected to you. Could we do that more often or going like, Hey babe, what's the sexiest thing I wear? What do you love that I wear so much? Like asking these silly questions, Mm -hmm. figuring out what makes each other tick. And, but really I think when we start falling into that trap of withholding and, and trying to use maybe sex to control, um, that's a heart condition. That's going back to that scripture of do nothing out of selfish ambition. And I think that that's that half truth that the church tries to convey, but it's, it's been twisted and it's really, we need to go back to the heart here and ask, okay, 
why, why am I responding this way? Why do I not have a desire? And, and then being able to communicate that courageously to yeah. our husbands. So I have a, a question for you that I've been trying to formulate and I was thinking about it a lot last night and into the days kind of coming into this. I am a firm believer of living in community and having these types of conversations. And I know when we were kind of prepping for this, great, let's do this. I feel comfortable with this. And then on the same boat, um, I, I really have seen hurt and pain and inappropriateness when we as girlfriends get together and talk about our husbands and our sex lives over the line. Where is that line? Like, how do we determine, okay, I think it's healthy and good to talk about this part, but do you know, mm-hmm. do, do you get kind of, this is where I was like, I'm right. not sure how to formulate this question of like, but where's that line of, but he's my partner and I want to protect him and I want to be respectful that that is an intimate, private part of my life. And I don't want to, you know, sitting around with, with a bunch of friends drinking wine and all of a sudden I'm sharing these things that that's not appropriate. Do you, mm-hmm. do you have a, a hard and fast rule on that? Do you, where do you feel that line is? Or is that different for everybody? I don't know. <coughs> I I don't have a hard and fast rule on that. Um, I think that we can take it too far that we aren't talking about this at all. And the world is so loud about it. And yet us as believers aren't talking about it at all. And so I, I am testimony to so much gratefulness for the honest conversations that I had with my girlfriends of thinking what's normal and it wasn't not that anyone can call it like what is normal, but yet having those honest conversations of like, Hey, I'm, I'm really struggling with this. You know, I think it's much safer to keep it about us. I mm-hmm. think maybe that in itself would maybe be that hard line of, you know, not pointing the finger at our husband of, well, my husband likes it when I do X. Like, that's not appropriate. I think that it would be more beneficial conversations if we kept things about us. Like, you know, I have a hard time when, you know, he asked me to do something. Like, sometimes we need godly people to speak into us because we can be deceived. And then the harmful thing is, is we don't know we're being deceived when we're deceived. That's the very deception nature. And so I think, I think the over the wine talk, um, it, it would be letting Holy Spirit convict you because I think he's the ultimate counselor when it comes to that. But I think it's safest when we keep things about ourselves and our own bodies and, and not disclosing information about our husbands that would be disrespectful. Yeah. I like that. I just think I, I know for me, I've been in that situation and I know there's times that I've been really convicted that I have shared too much and I've had to share with him and apologize and kind of walk that back. And then at other times I can hear my brain going, you should say, don't you dare say that. Just keep that in your head. <laughs> Nobody else needs to know that information. That is not what, and then you say like, oh, right, that's that conviction. Yep, nope, I'm walking mm-hmm. that back in my brain of, right. So I constantly feel like there's a, a sense that, you know, you get around people and you want to share things or you're joking about things. And I, I can even say that even not talking about intimacy, I've had a lot of um, conversation and a lot of growth in having an edifying conversation about my husband. Like it's very easy for us to women to sit around and trash them or say negative things. It's like, why, why would I do that? Why? I don't want to be that person. And I don't, I don't really feel that way about him. There's little things that annoy me. He probably has a much bigger list of things that annoy him about. Right. I'm sure he does. Cause I'm so not even close to her. So <laughs> why, but, and why would I want to, that's not being respectful. And I know respect is so huge for him and for, and for men. And, but also just, that's not being helpful to my own spirit of, of picking on that or feeling that I need to and want to, um, be, you know, a jewel in his crown and be, you know, a love for him. So I just always kind of thinking through that because this is a trickier topic that people feel like, no, don't ever talk about it. Or so 
appreciate it. That's a great thought to think about. I'm being comfortable sharing maybe more what I'm feeling and what's happening mm-hmm. within my own, my own self and my own body right. in those situations to encourage others and be willing to, you know, absolutely. You never know what, what needs to be said. And I'm a huge believer of that, that God leads those conversations. So, yeah. And I think it's important for us women to talk about ourselves in the marriage bed because it can feel so isolating and we can feel like we're the only one that struggle with that Mm -hmm. or, you know, what's wrong with me. I think that's always our first response to anything is I'm not good enough. That's the biggest lie that the enemy uses for all women, I think. And I think being in community and having um, appropriate, trustworthy conversations about sex is so important because it can combat those lies and it can also encourage our girlfriends to be like no honey like you're this is supposed to be just as good for you as it is for him you know and and to encourage them to be bold in their asks of their husband and to be respectful and to be excited because if men only knew wow if my wife got as much out of this as i did maybe she would actually want it more like hello light bulb (laughs) and and not in a selfish way of them, you know, getting their needs met, but truly to love one another with no selfish ambition, I think is the key to a thriving sex life. You had said earlier, you still receive, because you and you and your husband have been very open in our church about, about what you've done. I know you guys have created an app to help support people that have had different types of addiction, not only just pornography addiction or, um, but if there's somebody that was listening that felt they don't know you personally, they couldn't call you up or, you know, um, do you have resources or other places that you would, you would kind of encourage people to look into or, or go to, to, to find? Yeah. So, um, my husband has created an app. It's triggered.app. Mm-hmm. If anybody's struggling with addiction or unwanted behaviors, it's an accountability app. Um, And that has just been a huge blessing to be able to share our story. It's kind of given us a platform to be able to share. Um, And then also a tool that wasn't out there yet to help people that are trying to overcome something that is too hard to do on their own. Um, And then you can also find us, you know, on the divinemarriagecenter.com. The resources that I love for anyone struggling with this, if it's pornography strictly, um, Fight for Love is probably the most life-changing book and ministry that really came alongside of me in my time of need. Um, I could list tons of resources for men, but I think when it comes to our... um, our sex lives, it, it needs to start with honest conversations. Um, like I said, I could list tons and tons of books, but that's not, um, going to benefit people until they're ready to start having these conversations. Um, so yeah, I, I love talking about this and people can find me and email me. I don't care. I'm all, <laughs> I'm all ears and there's really not much that I am not willing to talk about because I want I want Jesus to get the full um, reward for his sacrifice, and, and I want it to all be worth it. And so I... That's you great. Think. I'm going to put those in the show notes so people can find those, and then they can um, look into the app and Divine Marriage and things like that. Mm-hmm. I think those are so important that people can have a actual place to go after listening to our conversation. Yeah. But um, the app itself, it just seems like it's a wonderful... Um, encompassing thing. It's not just for porn. It's for so many types of addiction and how quickly they can get support and be empowered and and uh, encouraged mm-hmm. when you're in a moment in a moment of need. Instant. Yes. Yes. It's it's a button that they download on their phone and the app. You press and hold the button and it sends out an instant alert to their accountability partners that they signed up for when they got the app and it just instantly notifies them like hey ta struggling reach out as soon as possible and so it just removes that barrier of shame Mm -hmm. and inconvenience to the person struggling of oh no i'm not going to call them they're probably busy or if maybe we do try calling and they don't answer then well at least i tried you know just removes all of those barriers when we're trying to break free and just makes it a little bit more simple so it just takes one second of courage yeah 
Well, I hope that that continues to grow and that goes well. I really appreciate you being here today. And it was a joy. Sharing about a topic that for some people is super uncomfortable. So I appreciate <laughs> you just have such an open heart about it. And God really is using your testimony to mm -hmm. encourage so many others. So thanks for having me today. Yeah. Have a great day. Thank you so much to my friend Heather for joining me in the library today. I just appreciate your openness, your honesty, your willingness to share such a vulnerable time of your life and in your marriage. And I pray that for the listener that this was encouraging. Please check out those show notes if you are struggling in any way or need support. There are so many resources out there for you. Um, and we just hope that this conversation uh, was not only enjoyable, but will be uh, healing and helpful for those of you out there. So thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next time.